Welcome to Query, where we provide simple answers to complex tech questions. My name is Serenity Caldwell, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. I am good. How are you? I'm good. I just bought one of your liftoff patches, so I feel yes. extra snazzy today. Uh, podcast, podcast merch day. Yeah, <laughs> podcast merch day. Stephen's podcast about space has has space mission patches, and they're really sweet. Anyway, that's not what we talk about on this podcast. Uh, you can go to Liftoff if you want to hear about that. On this podcast, we talk about all kinds of answers to your correct questions, like I just said. Uh, but before we talk about some questions, I want to follow up on an answer that we gave that uh, was wrong. <laughs> and I take full responsibility for this uh, because apparently I just did not think to try this. So to clarify, uh, in episode 27, we talked uh, about whether or not an iPhone could charge an Apple Pencil and how you could tell. Uh, spoiler, you cannot tell if an Apple Pencil is charging an iPhone because it does not appear in the iPhone's battery widget, but the iPhone can, in fact, charge an Apple Pencil. Thank you for to the several of us, uh, several of you who wrote in to tell us that. Uh, I did not know this, Stephen, because I never mm -mm. thought to check uh, the battery widget, not on the iPhone, but the original paired iPad that you have the Apple Pencil to. So if you plug an Apple Pencil into a different lightning connector, it doesn't automatically pair with that device the way it would another iPad. Instead, it just acts like nothing is connected, but it's still pulling power from that device. And you can tell that it's pulling power by checking that battery widget on the iPad. Yeah. Uh, so I learned something new. <laughs> Thank <knew>? you, Twitter. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brentech Prime, um, for leading you astray because you can charge an Apple Pencil to your iPhone. Uh, as to your original question, is there any downside to charging an iPhone with an Apple Pencil? Other than draining your iPhone battery and not knowing the charge level without checking your iPad, uh, not really. There's, there's, there's not really downside. Um, but I'm still just going to charge it with the iPad because... I don't know. I don't think I'll ever find a situation where I'd be with my iPhone and an iPad. Anyway, moving right along, let's talk about our actual topics for this show, Stephen. What do you say? Yeah, uh, I wanted to start with Twitter clients. This was in the news a little bit last week where – so third-party Twitter clients, so like things like Twitterific or TweetBot. Um, there are a couple others. I think those are the kind of the big popular ones in iOS. They rely on – uh, some tools built by Twitter to pull information from the service. And Twitter announced a while back that they were going to be getting rid of, of that API, getting rid of those tools that third-party developers use to talk to the service. What this means is that uh, prior to all this news, starting in June, TweetBot, Twitter, etc., would not be able to send push notifications or stream the timeline from Twitter itself. So you'd have to open the app to see anything new and you'd have to manually refresh it. Just like the old days, like if you use Twitterific, it was there on the app store on like day one, I think, like those early days. It would really put third-party Twitter clients uh, sort of back in time. And so this website surfaced uh, with these third-party developers encouraging their users to reach out to Twitter and say, hey, you know, I like using these apps. Please don't break them. And uh, Twitter to their credit, said, okay, we're going to remove the date on this. We're still going to do it, but they've, they've said it's not going to be in June anymore. But they, I don't still think they've really offered a solution. There is a, a new service, a new API that developers could use, but they haven't really shared details with third-party developers yet. So it's like... Yeah. 
I, my guess is writing is on the wall for these sorts of apps, but at least they have a sort of a a stay on their execution date for now. It's very disappointing to me uh, because I really don't like the the first party Twitter app, and I know you're going to talk about that in a second. Um, but Tweetbot and Twitterific have basically been my Twitter go-tos for years and years, in part because the experience is a little bit different, right? You can read chronologically. Um, it's a little bit easier to follow conversations from your friends. Uh, your mentions tab isn't clogged up with like, this person followed you, or mm-hmm. we're going to show you this tweet out of order, or hey, and this is, I think, the real reason why this is breaking. We can show you ads in your timeline, because currently yeah. Tweetbot and Twitterific don't show that like you right. just you don't see ads and i'm sure that grates or grinds the gears of twitter executives and maybe that's that's where this started where we're like well we're seeing more traffic on mobile let's make sure that everybody is getting all of these juicy juicy revenue features because you know twitter not historically great at making money uh and uh, i don't know i'm very upset about this this that might be like if there's not if there does not become a way for me to still properly use my Twitter client, um, I may that might be it for me in Twitter. And I'm like, I'm kind mm. of horrified to say that because I love Twitter. Like, it's one of my favorite things of all time. But the I just hate the app so much. <laughs> How do you feel about it, Stephen? I'm the same way. So all of this sort of prompted me, you know, to, to say, okay, let me actually spend some time with the first party app. I haven't used it, honestly, in years and uh, maybe it's not as bad as I remember it being. Turns out, in my opinion at least, uh, it's still it's still pretty rough. So uh, you mentioned a couple of things. Uh, the timeline is not strictly chronological. So Tweetbot and Twitterific kind of use the old style where newest tweets are at the top, and then they just flow backwards like, a, like on a blog, right? Like the, the older the post is, the further down it is. It has interruptions, so you're scrolling, and then you'll see a little block of, like, people you should follow, or the one that I hate the most, things you may have missed, so some tweets that you may have missed. I'm basically uh, a Twitter completionist. Like, I'm yeah. going to I'm gonna scroll back, and uh, now to the app's credit, you can dismiss that, and it's supposed to learn over time. Um, we also get things like, uh, sometimes you'll see a, a reply. So say, uh, Serenity, that you reply to somebody that I don't follow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in Tweetbot, I won't see that, right? Because I can't see your interactions with the people that I don't follow. But the Twitter app, sometimes when it sees fit and it's infinite wisdom, will surface that in my timeline. So say that you reply to somebody and Twitter thinks that I would be interested in your reply. I'll see your reply and that other person's tweet. So some people that I don't follow end up in my timeline, which to me like breaks the mental model of how Twitter works 100%. And then lastly, threads and replies are brought out of the chronological timeline and sort of grouped together. And I see what they're doing with that. So if you if you sort of see a block, you kind of, kind of know it all goes together. But sometimes you've already seen one of those tweets. And then all of a sudden it's up here in this other block and it's connected by a line. And it's just a, a little confusing to someone who hasn't used it very much. And, and all of these things I'm sure that I could get used to. And lots of people have. And lots of people, including like nerdy iPhone people use and like the Twitter app. I'm just saying that these are my issues with it. Uh, I don't, I don't think these are universal problems that everyone feels. So you have all that timeline stuff and then you have the way it handles activity and mentions. So in Twitterific and Tweetbot, all of your mentions are sort of grouped in a single place 
and they are separate from activity on your tweet. So things like how many faves and uh, retweets has a tweet gone. For me, at least, I don't ever look at the, the latter of those things. Like, I do not care how a tweet is quote unquote performing, right? Like retweets or favorites. Mm-hmm. If I click into it and I see that number, that's fine. But I never actively look for that. And and part of that may just be the, the size that, you know, my account is on Twitter and it's small compared to other people's, uh, but huge compared to a lot of people. For, for me, I just, that's just noise. I just don't care about it. And, uh, and the way the Twitter app does that is sort of interleaved with with replies to your tweets if you go to that to that activity tab, and uh, I just find that I don't I don't really care about that stuff, and I wish there was a cleaner way to see just my replies uh, or just my mentions without having to like go through this like multi-tabbed interface. So for me, it's just it's too busy. It it is built too much around engagement and performance of tweets which I don't care about. And I just like, for me at least, I, I follow new people from time to time, but I'm well past the point in my in my Twitter usage that I am like actively looking to add people. You know, if I add somebody, it's somebody who is working or covering an industry that I'm interested in or maybe somebody that I meet at a conference and we hit it off. There's a reason, right? Like I... I find the reason and, and, and that leads me to the person, not not the other way around. So I just, I don't know, like I, I find it frustrating. I find it a little confusing. And that's not even touching like how bad it looks on the iPad. The iPad yeah. version is really bad. They haven't paid attention to the iPad at all. It just looks lazy. Yep. So yeah, so it's not for me. And, and this kind of makes me, anxious is, is way too strong of a word, but like sort of not feeling super great about the future of Twitter and it's apps if these third-party apps are sort of like weirdly broken and we should say like twitter has been treating third-party apps like this for a long time like they can't do uh polls right so you can go on the twitter website or the official app and like make a poll of like what should i eat for lunch sandwich pizza mexican food um the answer is always tacos like tacos is always the answer but um so if you're in tweetbot you'll see somebody like ask or like say a weird thing and sometimes you just like kind of assume that there's a poll and you can click to click through to the web if you care twitterific does this clever thing that if it it looks for certain words or emoji and if you do those it'll let you like pop up into a little web view which is like a super hack but kind of brilliant all at the same time Mm -hmm. so third-party apps you're already not getting the full twitter experience and um you said something really interesting that i hadn't thought about uh is that I don't see ads in Tweetbot, and because I run a business based on advertising, I can say this with with some level of certainty. Uh, the type of consumer that is going to spend money on a third party Twitter app for their iPhone or their Mac is exactly the type of consumer Twitter wants to advertise to. Yeah, right? it's people who are are choosy or picky or fiddly in a certain way. People who have disposable income to spend money on apps. People who or willing to spend money on apps. Like there's plenty of people with disposable income who think buying software is stupid. Um, we are, we being the people who like pay and use for tweet, buy and Twitterific, et cetera, for years and years, we are valuable customers in the, and through the lens of Twitter's advertising business. And they have no way of reaching me. And I'm sure they want to reach me and I, I don't blame them. And I do want Twitter to be successful. It's a service that I really care about, but uh, I just don't feel like, where they're going with their official app is a place that I can follow very easily. 
I completely agree. Uh, and maybe, you know, I know like our our pal uh, Federico Fatici uses the main Twitter app and is totally on board with it. But for me, I think I've just, I have used Twitter differently for so many years mm-hmm. that it's, I don't know if Twitter, the way that Twitter wants itself to be, like that social network of Twitter is the kind of Twitter that I want to interact with. You know, yeah. I don't I don't want Facebook 2.0 with slightly less privacy problems. You know, <laughs> I I want I want what Twitter was originally put pitched to be. And, you know, that's that's me. It's not like me as a single person can be like, fix, do my, you know, make my problems go away. This service is just for me uh, as much as I would like to. Uh, but at the same time, I don't know. I don't know, Stephen. It, it makes me really frustrated and concerned. I'm like, maybe just, just add an API that inserts ads. Like, say you can have your streaming back, but you have to stream with ads. Like, I'd be okay with that. I would yeah, be. Me too. Yeah. Or or let me pay for Twitter. Like, I'd also be okay no, with paying no. for social media. Silicon Valley companies don't have any way to take money from consumers. No, God forbid. God forbid this subscription. <laughs> Is that a word? Yeah. It- it does make me wonder, like, in talking about this, like, have we just missed the boat, right? Like, I was tweeting about this over the weekend, sort of jokingly that I was going to try it, and it's, it's still on my home screen. I'm going to try to use it for a few more days. A lot of people were like, you know, it is fine. Like, I actually come to enjoy, like, what it surfaces, and if you use it, it, it you know, gets better over time, and that sort of stuff. And so part of me does think, like, am I just holding on to the way I've done Twitter for 10 years? Like, I've been on Twitter that long, and... I've used Twitterific or Tweetbot or something like it the entire time. And, you know, have I just gotten so set in my ways that I can't, um, I sort of can't jive with, with what the service actually is? You know what I mean? Like, is there some sort of friction there that I've introduced to my life? Yeah. No, 100%. Hopefully, there can be a, fu- a nice middle ground where we can continue to use Twitter and Twitter can figure out, you know, what it wants from its users. Uh, in hopefully a non-creepy way. Uh, but until that point, Stephen, I think we have to move on. Yes, we have a lot more to talk about this week. But first, I'll tell you about our first sponsor, and that is our awesome friends over at Pingdom. The reason Pingdom is awesome is because they keep your sites and the sites you love, like Relay.fm, online. Pingdom monitors your site so you don't have to, and they give real-time feedback so you know exactly what's going on at all times. Because like, let's just be honest, stuff breaks on the internet all the time. In fact, every month, Pingdom alone detects over 13 million outages. And if you're quick with math, you know that's over 400,000 outages every single day. So regardless of whether you have a small website or you're managing a complete infrastructure, it's super important to monitor the availability and performance of all those systems. You don't want your site to go down, and you really don't want it to go down and be told via email or via tweet that that you're having a problem. That's why you need Pingdom, so you can stay ahead of those issues. It's so easy to get started. All Pingdom needs is the URL you want to monitor, and they take care of the rest. So go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a free 14-day trial. No credit card is required. And when you do sign up, use the code QUERY at checkout to get a massive 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right. Uh, so, second topic. Thanks, Pingdom. Uh, KT to BB8 asks system storage in iOS is showing uh, 19 gigabytes of random usage. How do I clear out this storage? 
Uh, and I was really excited to answer this question because this is something that at iMore we've done quite a lot of research about. Um, and it kind of boils down to uh, an old problem with iTunes, Stephen, um, where a long, long time ago, we used to have to connect our iPhones to our Macs <laughs> to oh, sync no. things. <laughs> you know, oh, that it's funny. awful. <laughs> right? I'm like, we're we're like a couple years away from it. Thank you, iCloud. But um, up until that point, oh, man, I had kind of almost forgotten the, the nightmare that was iTunes. Um, but no, I mean, and some people, I should note that some people still do sync their iPhones to their Macs. It's possible mm-hmm. or PCs. Uh, but I feel like that number is dramatically shrinking. Uh but anyway, uh, when you connected your phone to your to your uh, Mac or PC and opened up iTunes, you'd get a little storage bar. And this was, again, before the days of iOS 11, and you could actually see your storage directly on the iPhone. You get the storage bar, and it would show you the total amount of storage that you had sh- uh, colored in in gray. And then everything else that was kept up in certain storage would show you like photos you know you have 10 gigabytes being taken up by photos and five gigabytes being taken up by music and you know two gigabytes being taken up by i don't know messages or something like that um but then there was this awful bar called the other bar (laughs) and for many yeah it just wasn't explained it was just like other other storage you know, 10 gigabytes. And you're just staring at it and you're like, what? I, I don't, what? <laughs> like, I, why? Why is other storage even a thing? Um, and since that point, Apple has gotten a little bit better about labeling what these things are. Um, if you open up your iPhone storage tab, for instance, in uh, if you go to settings, general, uh, and then I believe it's called iPhone storage, it will actually show you a little bit more delineated option of what these things, what exists in these things, um, in these various categories. But there is still this kind of like catch-all category. Um, yeah. And the stuff that's stored in other storage um, includes things like cache data. Uh, from Safari. It includes things like your settings preferences, uh, voice memos. This is a weird one, right? You'd think that voice memos would be stored in like the app, but because the app is built into the iPhone, it's a little bit, a little bit uh, complicated. Um, And it used to contain uh, saved messages. Uh, Now, when you look at that, when you, again, you, the modern day iOS 11, you look at iPhone storage, uh, they actually pull out messages as a separate thing. So you can actually see, oh, you know, I have 4.5 gigabytes of things stored in messages. Uh, and it even has uh, recommendations on how you can reduce things like that. For instance, right now, my, my iPhone is like, hey, so you have 120 gigabytes of photos and you have about five gigabytes of messages we think that you could probably get rid of like 4.5 of those gigabytes by reviewing your large attachments. So scrolling through and I I open my attachments and I'm like, oh yeah, I sent a a video that was 1.37 gigabytes. I probably don't need that on my phone. So I can go (laughs) ahead and delete that. Um, But getting back to the the original question, which is like, how can you clear out the storage? Uh, The best way 
is uh, what I was just talking about, going to general iPhone storage. And first of all, looking and seeing the sort of the general graph of what's being stored, uh, but also check the recommendations immediately below that. You've got, as I said, things like review large attachments, might also say things like your photo storage is taking up most of your thing. Have you considered iCloud library? Have you considered optimizing your storage on that front? Um, and then below that, you can see the cache data of every single app that you have. Um, and if you go into something like certain apps, um, like photos, for instance, will just show you documents and data, 124 gigabytes. Uh, but if you go into a third-party app like iMovie, you have two options. Uh, the first one is called Offload App. And essentially what that does is it takes all of your documents and data um, and it sends them to iCloud, assuming that you have that space, right? And it says, we're going to store it all still in iCloud, but we're just going to remove it from your phone so that your phone no longer has to worry about having that space taken up by it. Um, of course, as I said before, you need some iCloud storage for that. Um, and if you want to use iMovie again, you're going to have to reinstall the app um, and put your data basically back on the phone. So offloading the app is the equivalent of like deleting it off your phone, but unlike a straight deletion, it will still save all of your data so that the next time you download it, it will keep everything the way it was. Yeah, uh, this, that's really cool. Yeah, I, I love that feature. I think it's really awesome, especially, um, for instance, I, I use a, iMovie a lot. Like I edit all kinds of things on my iPhone uh, and those projects can, can sometimes be pretty hefty in size. So I appreciate having the option to offload iMovie while I'm shooting footage, while I don't have connection to iCloud Photo Library. For instance, uh, last month, I went to the Women's Roller Derby World Cup and I shot probably, probably 150 gigabytes of slow motion and 4K video on my wow. iPhone 10. Yeah, it's like I have a 256 uh gigabyte iPhone. So I had the space, but that combined with all of the apps I had, it started to make things real, real tight on the space side. Uh, so it was really nice to be able to just be like, okay, I'm going to offload a bunch of these apps and go from there. Um, it's also things like um, some apps, it doesn't always make sense why they have so much documents and data. For instance, uh, my Instagram account currently has 1.59 gigabytes of documents and data. <laughs> and I'm like... That seems weird. Like, yeah. I have my account, but I can't imagine, like, I don't understand. It's probably cached data, right? It's probably, it's gotta be. oh, you've just been looking at a lot of videos and we want to keep it cached locally so that you don't have to reload that video over and over and steal your data. Um, but sometimes maybe you load that video once and it still gets stuck in Instagram's cache. This is a way to clear that. Um so that's like that's kind of the general gist of being able to clear your iPhone storage. Um, if you really want to kind of go at it, uh, you can also go it on a more like individual level. Uh, things like uh, music, you can delete individual songs, you can delete albums, you can clear out that way. Um, and of course, you can go on your computer if you really want to and pop into your, you can connect again, like we talked about before, you can connect your iPhone to your Mac, either via USB cord or via Wi-Fi. Um, you can take a take a glance at what's going on there um, and change certain sync settings. Uh, and then in the last thing that I'd recommend is there's a way to delete extra cache data from Safari, um, which other than just like clearing everything 
uh, and offloading the app, uh, your Safari cache and your offline reading list uh, get hidden inside when inside that nice little iPhone storage tab down on Safari. Um, in addition to the offload app, uh, Safari because it's a core a core process, you can't just delete it. Instead, it shows you documents and data, and it gives you a couple different things. Website data, your offline reading list, and history. And each of those things can be individually deleted. So if you ever, for instance, want to clear your cache, like you're, you're used to clearing your cache on your Mac, and you want to clear your cache on iPhone and get rid of all of that needless storage, or you've saved way too many things to your online reading list, and you're like, am I really going to read that 20-page Vanity Fair story with all of these photos? Probably not. You can go into the Safari section of your iPhone storage and delete it all. So those are kind of my my general suggestions to try and get your 19, is it 19 gigs? Yeah, your 19 gigabytes of usage just to, to drop down that system storage and make sure that uh, that not everything is ending up in like the evil other category. And there's, you know, there's always the possibility here that, you know, something has gone wrong. So if you go through these steps and there's no like obvious thing, uh, causing it and like we should say that iphone storage screen is years better than it used to be it is oh my God. really good it even tells you the last time you open the app like it is like a check of like oh yeah i installed this and i never you know i haven't opened it in six months i'll probably just get rid of it yeah it's exactly. very good but there are times where something has you know gotten a little silly in there and, and you know it may be that uh you know, backing up to iCloud and restoring the phone, you know, may may be in order or, you know, even like the sort of <laughs> a clean slate approach of, you know, have all your stuff somewhere and, and start over, uh, restore without a backup. But um, my guess is that these tools have gotten so good that that you'll dive into this and find something that's that's causing the issue and not have to resort to a restore. Because that really in the old days, that was kind of the only thing we could recommend. It's like, well something's causing it and restoring from iCloud doesn't bring all those caches back necessarily. So you kind of get the benefit of it. Um, even though you, you know, kind of overkill as far as, uh, yeah, the one, the one downside I think to restoring from iCloud is that your passwords won't really save over, you know, like for instance, if I offload the Instagram account or the, sorry, the Instagram app, when I redownload Instagram, it will still have my accounts attached to it. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I just do a flat out restore from iCloud, then I have to re-log in to all these things. But that's much less of a pain than it used to be thanks to iCloud Keychain and third-party apps like 1Password. Totally. and having that like that little keychain button installed on the system keyboard, like I think that that makes a huge difference to this. Uh, but yeah. I do think you're absolutely right, Stephen, in that like if this isn't helping you, then the next option is an iCloud restore. Uh, just make sure that you've saved everything that you want to in iCloud uh, and or Dropbox. Honestly, I I really 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 recommend making sure that your photo library is backed up in at least three yes. places. This is like my photo library is currently partially on my iPhone, fully on my Mac, fully in Dropbox, and fully in iCloud photo library. So making making sure you have all of those pieces and they don't just disappear into the void if you have to restore something, always an important thing. And of course, all of this also goes for the iPad, right? Like we didn't mention it, but it's worth saying if you're into this on an iPad, it's all the same steps. And uh the thing that always gets me on my iPad, just in my personal use, is that I'll sync movies to it for a trip, and then I'll just forget about them, right? It's so like, if my iPad's running low on space, I'll go into there and be like, oh, 
I have 30 gigs worth of video files that I don't need. You <laughs> know, like, like it's, oh. <laughs> and, it, you know, it may be that there's something obvious you're taking out that space. But um, iCloud does make this easier being able to set photos to just have the thumbnails on device or you know, having Apple Music. You know, you're talking about plugging in an iOS device to a Mac. And I was one of those people for a really long time because I still synced my music over USB. But I switched to Apple Music maybe six months ago, and I've been really happy with it. And so... I don't know if my iPhone 10 has ever been plugged into my iMac. Like, I don't think it has been because uh, I restored from iCloud and all this stuff just syncs to it. And and even charging, it's charging on my desk right now on a wireless charger, so I don't even plug it into my computer to charge. Like, I don't know if it's ever been plugged in. And that's uh, that's been something Apple has slowly been working towards, you know, since iOS 5 and iCloud, you know, the whole, like, PC-free experience. Um, but I finally feel like now and, like, the last couple of years, it's really possible if you're willing to spend the money on things like extra iCloud storage and Apple Music. And not everybody is, and not everybody can, but if you can and you're willing to, it can be a nice experience. All right, so we're going to move on to our speed run, but first I want to tell you about Simple Contacts. It's pretty great when an app or a service takes a tiresome task and makes it fuss-free. Simple Contacts does this by being the easiest way to renew your contact lens prescription. You'll be able to reorder your contacts from anywhere in just minutes. All you need to do is complete their online self-guided vision test. It takes less than five minutes from wherever you are. No more doctor's offices, no more waiting rooms. I did this actually in an Airbnb in Chicago. I was like, I'm out of town. I need to order contacts. I was able to open the app and do it. And you can order your favorite contacts right from the website or app. They offer all the lens brands you love with options for astigmatism, which I have, multifocal lenses, colored lenses, and more. You'll be able to order exactly what you need from the palm of your hand. The vision test is just 20 bucks. For comparison, an appointment without insurance can cost you over 200 Simple Contacts briefly saves you money and time. We do need to let you know this is not a replacement for a periodic full-eye health exam. Simple Contacts checks that your current prescription still helps you see 2020 and they renew that prescription. Uh, this is not a new prescription or uh, an eye health examination. Still got to go do those things. Like I said, I've used Simple Contacts. I did it in Chicago uh, while I was traveling for work, opened the app. I had my prescription. I did the vision test to confirm my prescription was still accurate. It was. And in just a few days, the contact lenses that I like, I'm very picky. I like this one brand that I found works for me. They were on my doorstep, and uh, it's really fantastic. They they send you a little notification of, hey, you know, you use your contacts. You're you're nearing the end of your prescription. Do you want to renew? I checked. Sure enough, I was nearing the end of my prescription. Really great, fast, and easy. As a listener of Query, you can get thirty dollars off your contact lenses. Just go to simplecontacts.com/query, or you can enter the code Query at checkout. That's simplecontacts.com slash query, or use the code query for $30 off. We thank Simple Contacts for their support of this show and Relay FM. Speed run time. Speed run time. All right, Stephen, I got a question for you. Benjamin asks, how do you choose how much storage to have on a recreational iPad? Uh, I think it depends on what recreational means. So... If you know you're not working on it, it's sort of maybe a, a consumption device. You're going to watch movies and TV shows, do some tweeting, that sort of stuff. Um, kind of look at what you want to do. So the new iPad, which we, just, we spoke about last time, is 329 for 32 gigabytes of storage and 429 for 128. 
32 is a little on the low end if you're going to sync a bunch of movies to it, like we talked about earlier. That always catches me on my iPad Pro. So, you know, if if recreational means a lot of offline video, like you're flying a lot and want to have movies downloaded from Netflix or iTunes, maybe splurge for the 128 gigs. But if you're mostly using it at home and you're just streaming stuff to it, and you you know use things like Apple Music or iCloud Photo Library. We don't have to store all that stuff on the device. I think 32 gigs is probably okay. Um, I've actually been thinking about this a little bit because we are finally going to get around. I think to replacing the iPad Mini 2 that my kids have been using for schoolwork because it is just it's just a dog. Um, oh my god! So it's so done. Pretty. <laughs> it's slow and the battery life is really bad. And um, so I was looking through it, and they have a lot of, like, educational apps on there, but I think 32 gigs would be fine for that sort of use, too. So um, so I think that it's uh, – I at least think 32 gigs is probably okay if you carefully look at what you want to do. But it's just 100 bucks more for the 128, so I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's kind of a split decision for me. What do you think? Oh, God. Oh, God. No. Uh, one, 128. It's, uh, so here's here's my reasoning. I have to pull up this chart uh, because I did some research um, last year on iPad storage sizes and specifically cost per gigabyte, right? Like how much you are you paying per gigabyte? Um, and it breaks my heart uh, just how much money you pay per gigabyte. Um mm. Which is, let me see if I can find this. It's uh, the for, so the four twenty nine one hundred and twenty eight gigabyte iPad is three dollars and twelve uh, cents per gigabyte, basically. If you're just paying for gigabyte, uh, in contrast, uh, you pay ten dollars and twenty eight cents per gigabyte for the three uh, mm. the three ninety nine or three ninety nine no three twenty three forty nine. God, hold on. I'm gonna try that again. Three twenty nine. Uh, yeah. So you pay, you pay three twelve per gigabyte versus almost ten, like ten twenty eight per gigabyte. Okay. And I'm just kind uh, of yeah. like, that's when I look at it that way. I'm like, this is such a ripoff uh, to save a like a hundred dollars. Um, and you know, in some cases, like certain educational institutions and things like that, it makes sense to have that lower price point. And I do know that it's not Apple nickeling and diming completely. Like it does cost money to make room for the extra storage space and, and the flash memory and everything else. And NAND flash, you know, goes up and down depending on the, the weather and 10 million other things. So I get why they offer that lower price point, um, and a lower storage size. But anybody who can afford it, I 100% recommend the 128 gigabytes. Even if you use Dropbox, even if you, like, use iCloud, it just, it's not a good deal for your money. You've convinced me. 128 <laughs> gigs it is. Cool. <laughs> All right. This is a really interesting question, uh, and uh, uh, you're the, the, the right person in my life to answer it. Um, <laughs> Bastion writes... Why does the Wacom tablet uh, not require power for input when others like the Apple Pencil do? So uh, if you're not familiar with Wacom, you know, it's it's a tablet you attach um, generally to a computer and you're drawing and sketching and using an Adobe Illustrator and stuff like that. But that pen is not powered, right? It's just a passive implement, uh, at least in most cases, I think, or maybe all cases. So what's the deal with this? 
Oh, boy. So um, Wacom's technology has actually been around for uh, many years at this point. Uh, it's very heavily patented, which is why other tech- other companies have kind of gone different routes. Um, and essentially, they actually have a really great explainer up on their business side. Uh, so I'll quote some of that and just explain what this is. Uh, Wacom essentially uses a technology called electromagnetic resonance uh, to power their pen. And essentially, it's like... Uh, you know, you know, if you get too close to like, a, like, a is it a Van de Graaff generator? You know, the I forget which which magic physics thing this is, but like it's the electricity in a ball. And then if you touch your finger to the ball, the the electricity jumps up and touches your finger. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's kind of kind of the same idea mentally, where when the pen touches the the I want to say paper, when it touches the tablet screen, um, it essentially sends a mag- like uses a magnetic field to send frequencies that are picked up by the pen and then essentially powers the pen by transferring energy into it. Um, the way that Wacom describes it metaphor wise is they're like, it's kind of like how a tuning fork makes a piano wire move without actually touching it. Um, and then once the pen gets that energy from, from that magnetic field, it can then redirect that energy, sends it through the pen circuitry, and then sends a signal back to the hmm. original tablet. So it goes between the sensor in the, in, the, um, in the tablet, goes between sending energy to the pen and then listening for receiving fre- frequencies from the pen. Um, and the two different modes are power mode, which is when the power, the pen gets powered by the tablet, um, and then listening mode, which is when the tablet is or when the pen is sending signals to the tablet. Um, and the same thing uh, goes for all of the additional like little tools on the pen, like side switches and the eraser. All of this connects via EMF um, and and their e- or sorry EM- EMR electromagnetic resonance. I keep on wanting to say EMF like frequency, and it's that's not correct. Uh, so yeah, all of that's all of that's powered that way. It's it is really cool technology. I kind of want like a middle schooler to do a really cool keynote presentation with all those new iPad tools. <laughs> Just be like, this is how Wacom tablets work, and this is how iPads work. Um, iPads, by the way, they just have a Bluetooth chip um, in the pencil that talks to the iPad, um, and then the iPad pre-res- er, pre-guesses where your pencil is going to draw based on its starting position on the LCD screen, which is also pretty cool. They're, it's, it's both very, very cool, innovative technology that they've done. Cool. I, yeah, I didn't know that's how it worked. Now I feel, I feel smarter. <laughs> All right. Last question. Chris asks, Stephen, whenever I restart my 2017 iMac, I have to connect my Magic Keyboard with a lightning cable before it'll allow me to type my password. My Logitech Bluetooth mouse, however, connects just fine. Is this a known issue with High Sierra? Maybe a wrong setting? What do you think? Uh, so a couple of things here. I have definitely noticed uh, with Sierra and High Sierra that when you first start up a, a computer with a Bluetooth keyboard, you go, you take your mouse and you click on your username and then you start typing your password. Sometimes the first couple of keystrokes aren't registered because it is waking up the keyboard at that first key press. And uh, I've seen that um, a bunch. I've just kind of come to, to know that my first key press or two is not going to be registered and then it sees it and then it's fine. I have not seen where you've got to like plug in the lightning cable. So what that does on the Magic Keyboard, it basically repairs the keyboard to the computer. 
So my guess is there's something that's gone a little funny uh, in that pairing process. And so a couple of things I would do is I would go to uh, Bluetooth settings. Uh, you can do this in the Bluetooth mini bar item and hit open Bluetooth preferences. And it gives you a list of the devices uh, that the computer knows about. And I would fully remove the keyboard and then re-add it. Just like completely get rid of it and uh, and start from scratch. And may- maybe that will help clear things up. The other thing I would try if that doesn't work is I would reset the NVRAM. And there's a link in the show notes of how to do that. NVRAM keeps a lot of weird settings. And sometimes if something gets corrupted there, it can uh, that can take care of it. Um, but Chris, what you're experiencing is definitely not how it's supposed to be. So... Uh, my guess is completely removing the keyboard and re-adding it. My guess is that'll fix it. But uh, if not, I would try the NVRAM, and I think you'll be I think you'll be good to go. Yeah. I have one other suggestion, only because I ran into it this morning, which is that if your accessories are consistently low on power, and I will say, while well, the... The magic, key, the magic trackpad and the magic keyboard last a long time on their Bluetooth power. Um, you can run into the issue where the keyboard is at like 8% when you shut your computer down. Um, and then when you turn it back on, it's so low that it doesn't have the necessary juice to connect. And connecting it via lightning cable for like 30 seconds will give it enough juice maybe for another couple hours. But then if you shut your computer off again, like you might run into the same issue. I don't think this is the problem you're having, but I bring it up just in case. Yeah. And you can always check that in that Bluetooth menu bar item. It will tell you the battery levels. Like right now my keyboard is at 86%, but my trackpad is 15. And uh, so you can, that's a, that's a good thing to maybe check in on too. Cool. I think that uh, brings us to the end of this episode of Query. Um, if you want to find show notes or links we've talked about, they're in your podcast app you're listening in or on the website, relay.fm slash query slash 28. If you have questions or topics you want us to cover, you can submit them on Twitter with the hashtag AskQuery. In the meantime, you can find Serenity there. She's at Saturn, S-E-T-T-E-R-N. And you can find her excellent writing over at imore.com. I should say, one of the few websites that pulls yellow off really well as a main color. <laughs> I love the redesign. I'm so glad. I really like it, too. I feel like there's so many blue websites in, in yes. the Apple world, and I'm, I'm happy with our yellow. It's good. The yellow is really fun. You can find me on Twitter uh, at ISMH, and I write 512pixels.net, which uses orange instead of yellow, but uh, it's got some orange in there. Until our next episode, Serenity, say goodbye. Goodbye. Adios.